Welcome to this week's episode of London Heal. I am your host, Tatiana Kasesanov. I am so excited to bring you my guest this week. Um, this wonderful lady is actually a heroine of mine. She's one of the trailblazers in the field and has taken up arms to make everybody healthy, happier, and much more energetic. And it's my absolute pleasure to welcome Nikki Gratrix. Welcome, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here and awesome. And I'm just glad, glad to make a connection with you and your audience. Wonderful. We're so happy to have you. For those of you who don't know Nikki, and I can't believe there's anybody out there who doesn't, um, she's an award-winning functional health practitioner and transformation coach, helping people to optimize energy. In 2005, she co-founded one of the largest mind-body clinics in integrative medicine in the UK. The results with patients were published as a preliminary study in 2012 in the British Medical Journal Open. In August 2015, she hosted the largest ever free online health summit on overcoming fatigue, interviewing 29 of the world's leading experts on optimizing energy with over 30,000 attendees. And since 2015, she has spoken on over 40 large online health summits, reaching over 1 million people worldwide, an absolute authority, and therefore I am so honored that you're with us. Welcome, Nikki. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You know, just continuing on the mission to get the word out. <laughs> Absolutely. And one of the things I, I know your field of interest is huge and people always want to know where people come from. So what was your journey into the world of functional medicine? Yes. Yeah, so actually, um, it was a second career for me. So I did, I, I was actually, I did trainers in chartered accountancy and all this stuff and banking and finance is completely the wrong career for me and like <laughs> the wrong area and when I was about 30 I realized I needed to move into something with a lot more meaning and sort of directly helping people um, and so I, I was already very interested in nutrition and just how to be happy and I was interested in anything that would would do that whether it was sort of the biochemistry side approach like functional medicine and diet or, or psychology so yeah, it was when I was 30 and <clears throat> I trained at the Institute for Optimal Nutrition. And I'd already been on a sort of a seeking journey. It was more about consciousness, actually, that first 10 years of sort of going, who am I? Why did I pick the wrong career? This kind of thing. So really wanting to find out who I was and how to be happy, actually. And then I met um, probably some of you who may have also been a guest on your show, Alex Howard, who's Absolutely. my... Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was my uh, partner at the time. And he'd just come through seven years of chronic fatigue, really bad, had just written a book. And so he was like the psychology side and I was doing the functional kind of biochemistry side. And so it was the two of us who joined together because we just we realized with certain chronic complex conditions and difficult ailments that our people were dealing with, there was so little help out there and there's a lot of suffering and it needed this mind and body approach, not just one or the other. We needed this integrate, a truly holistic approach. So that's the kind of the genesis. And then it kind of went from there with the clinic that you mentioned in the, in the intro there. So that's yeah. some history. <laughs> Well, hallelujah to that mind-body, absolutely. As I always say, you know, the mind and the body were never told that they weren't playing on the same team. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, or that they were like one thing. There's, exactly. They are one thing anyway, so you exactly. can't do anything with one without affecting the other. 
And that's the one thing that I really love about your approach, because I think um, in the world of functional medicine, although I have noticed a, a, a shift in the last year or so, um, functional medicine was very focused about nutrition, diet, food is medicine, absolutely. More recently, looking at your genes, you know, the whole dirty genes phenomenon and everything. But I get the feeling that it's really recently that they've started to actually incorporate much more of the mind um, approach. I don't know whether that's simply because of its popularity in other circles that they've kind of got wind of it or because I don't know what the reason is, but maybe you can throw some light on that because that's somewhere that you've always been right from the very beginning, which I think really distinguishes you as a practitioner in that field. Yes, it is. It's really interesting. We did start with the mind and the body you know I, I it's very interesting you say that I have spoke I have been doing the mission of speaking on all these health summits um and I, I can see that ha- that has had an impact I even saw Dr Mark Hyman was talking yes, about ACEs the other exactly day exactly the like, person I was thinking of actually <laughs> yes yeah I was like well I don't I've, I've heard a few speakers where I was thinking mm, I think you might have heard me speak and not that I would try and you know claim credit for any of that but there's a couple of recent things that I think are happening. One is I have spoken on a huge amount of summits. It's some of the data that I was sharing. So some of it is just, it, you just can't ignore it. And if you say you're a functional health practitioner, you care about evidence-based approaches, how can you uh, ignore the data about trauma and childhood and early life stress and the impact across a, on health across a lifetime? So that it's, some of it is just the science that's already been done. It's been around for 25 years. It's It's been there, but... As you say, the functional medicine, remember functional medicine did also, it really originated here in the US. And I would say I've been living in the US for the last seven years. They are very body, a little bit materialistic focused, you know, they're (laughs) biochemists. They're the world leading expert in, in that side of it. So there's a few of us who've been coming to the US and kind of we've been into the mind body from the beginning and the words getting out so I people like me have just been sharing being able to communicate the science and that's the language of they are highly qualified practitioners it's, a, it's mm-hmm. an, a brilliant we love functional medicine right so we we love that area so it's just them becoming aware of like oh so that really some of this research is just undeniable and you really need to think beyond it's just there's a hell of a lot more going on than just diet and exercise not that you know, that's important too. I'd also mention someone else who's a massive influence on me, who's really had a big influence here in the US. And it's, you see the boomerang effect now because it's Dr. Dietrich Klinghardt. Mm. I don't know if you're aware yes, about Yes, I know him. him very much. So yeah. Yeah. I think he's, he's an medicine expert. So. Yes. And he's, he, he, so he's just brought the energy side, but mm. he's always been, he's a psych, psychotherapist as well. Mm. So he's an MD, <clears throat> German qualified, highly qualified MD with a, an outstanding energy medicine practitioner, but has been doing, talking about emotional trauma and the impact on health since he began as well, probably 40 years ago. And so he's been out there and I've noticed they've just done a, an online summit, the Body Electric Summit right now. I saw it's that. Smashed, it's amazing, actually. Mm-hmm. It smashed all records for summits. And it was so in- interesting speaking to Dr. Christine Schaffner, who co-works with Dr. Klinghart. A few years ago, we just it wasn't possible to talk about that stuff sort of without maybe getting, again, you just had to get the data out there, get the research out there. And, and it's finally catching on. You're absolutely right. It's both energy medicine and it's the mind-body. Um, right. So maybe it's just there's a natural awakening happening. But a few years ago, it just it wasn't 
they weren't getting it. And now it's really starting to go crazy. A lot of good educators out there. I think another one I'm thinking of is Ari Witten, who wrote the book about red light therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, brilliant trainer and educator, just a superb speaker. He must have had 100,000 people go through his free training and he's talking all about the physics of the body. So, yeah, so that's a bit of a long answer to the question, but it's I'm really interested in the question because it's like, wow, you're talking that interests me as well like why has that been shifting I'm just glad it is but it is so my I I think it's also very much as you said it's kind it's kind of results-based you know because with one approach however good that approach is the long and the short of it is it reaches a, a point where it doesn't proceed and then you've got to start looking at other things and I think finally every practitioner whichever discipline they choose to place their emphasis is coming to a point of understanding this is not a one-trick pony (laughs) we have to have this aspect and this aspect and this aspect because we are complex beings you know we are biochemical we're energetic we're emotional and um that's why forerunners like you are, are such, are such, you know, have been such a wonder in this world because you have really been getting the message out there for which I'm extremely grateful. Well, thank you, because that's also <laughs> been your role too. So, Getting there, getting there, absolutely. So, Nikki, one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk to you is because you have done so much of your research and been involved in actually applying this research in practice in the area of trauma. So take us right back to the beginning of that story for people who are not really familiar with with where that all started off, where the kind of real understanding that trauma was a thing. So that's really interesting. You asked really good questions. Thank you. I've done a lot of interviews though. So um, so I'm very flattered. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's very interesting because back in the sort of the 80s and the 90s there were actually people aware there was that movement about sort of there was there was a thing about mind body and it was I was thinking he was encapsulating at the time there was that movie that came out which is pretty superficial it's a movie called the secret yeah Uh, uh, (laughs) yeah and there was this movement it was sort of hay house publishing involved you know and louise hay which i actually have huge respect for her and Mm -hmm. um, body you know that knows how to heal itself or the body can heal itself whatever that the name of her book is super famous and she sold millions of copies and and then we have the modern day version of that which is people like joe Dispenza and lisa rankin and the people who are really, and I, I love Joe because he's he's taken what Louise Hay understood intuitively about this mind body connection. He was like the the man who kind of said, "Well, there's a load of skeptics out there. I'll show you the science behind that, and it's all mainstream." Here's forty years of psychoneuroimmunology looking at these connections between the mind and the body, and that's a mainstream researchers have been doing that work. So that's stress suppresses the immune system and creates inflammation that is that's robust and you know evidence-based of course we have the placebo effect as well i mean the placebo the the idea that a sugar pill can create physical changes in the body not just thinking but actually a physical change in the body so that's kind of always been out there and also this this law of attraction movement that started as well which is all it was all very mind body it's you know kind of looking at the power of the mind and of course the brilliant um dr bruce lipton so it's that's that kind of it's, it's always been there but one of the things i went very deep into all of that i was you know a big fan and i was following it all in my 20s while while i was kind of still doing finance work crazy but what happened is it 
I started to realize there were some missing core missing pieces to this. Like if it was just as simple as like, let's just think positively, let's just be positive all the time um, that, you know, or do the Joe Dispenza thing. I'm not, there is mileage in that for sure. So let's not downplay it. Um, but there were some missing pieces. Like, why is it that most people don't get exactly if I, well, I'm thinking it, why doesn't it just come to me? Why isn't it just, you know, and that's where I started to realize that, it is to do with this the unconscious mind and also the fact that we are we're, we're not like one being <laughs> we are usually most sort of schools of psychology would tell you you know you're a bunch of sub personalities all conflicting with each other and you set an intention and there's five other parts of you that are sabotaging that and most of what all that is this we could call it stuck energy you could call it sub personalities that unresolved it's all trauma so that's where I start. I felt it was too shallow, even though there's a truth there about this, you know, the, just thinking something makes it true. It goes so much deeper than that. And usually what sabotages this mind body or even the placebo can only end up being temporary and then the results can go backwards. If somebody hasn't resolved their underlying maybe addictive patterns, so they, they keep doing you know addictive behaviors because underlying that, what that's being fed by is unresolved trauma. Um, or, you know, um, an example um, is somebody who there's a huge amount of data showing that people who were sexually abused in childhood have a tremendous increased risk of being obese in adulthood and there was even an obesity clinic and they were it was actually the found the people who did the ACEs study which we can talk about later if you like mm -hmm. but it was a somebody from the CDC uh actually it was Kaiser Permanente and they had an obesity clinic and they were working with all the clients and the clients were like losing weight really well on their protocols it was all working and then suddenly they would get more anxious more panicky and then they would just um drop out 55 percent dropout rate so the clinic the Kaiser Permanente were like okay let's do a survey and find out why and by mistake they found out that the participants just happened to mention a lot of them were mentioning, well, I had sexual abuse in childhood. And then one woman basically summed it up when she said, look, being fat was a protection mechanism. So that is a direct example about how an unresolved part of ourselves traumatizes, uh, sorry, sabotages our health plan. And we, we've got tons of things like that going on that are all to do with kind of that are trauma related stuff. So, so that's some of how, why it need, I sort of felt, we need to go deeper here. And then I found, I keep saying the ACC, I found that data and I was like, Oh my God, that's it. <laughs> that, that is explains. It helps everybody wake up to the reality and not get too superficial or narcissistic <laughs> about just thinking all you need to do is think positive and it will happen. Um, so yeah, that's, that might explain a can bit. You, absolutely brilliant. No, can you unpack the, um, the A studies a little bit? Because I think that is one of the most seminal pieces of research. Um, it was a huge database done by also essentially independent bodies. You know, we're often yep. criticizing the funding of research that was done by the CDC as well as Kaiser Permanente, I think at the time. So both of them actually had interest in keeping health costs down <laughs> and not yes. over-medicating patients. And so we're really looking at the foundations of where this came from. So yeah, away, that's, that's 
I think, you know, it, this, it's almost like we are in a kind of information war where we've had to overcome this pharmaceutical paradigm that that's the be all and end all. And that's all that anybody hears about. Mm-hmm. And unbelievably, you, you don't hear about studies done by the CDC and Kaiser Permanente in the mid 1990s of 70 and a half thousand people. And that Huge. was just the start. That yeah. was just the start. Probably one of the most important studies done in medicine. By the way, this is what hooks the functional medicine community. You want to get to that community and influence them to wake up to the fact that you can't just solve everything with supplements and diet and exercise. There's actually more to it. Um, it's this data. And just so that people are aware, that data showed that if you had a high level of adversity in childhood, you had a dramatic increased risk of seven out of the top 10 causes of death. And if you had, uh, for example, we'll talk about what ACEs are as well. If you had four adverse childhood events, you have a 400% increased risk of things like depression in adulthood, Alzheimer's, dementia. I got very interested in this because I specialize in fatigue, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia. It's one of my specialisms. And that is like the poster child. So if you have ACEs in childhood, you had a 600% increased risk of developing those in those illnesses in adulthood. And then there's, if you had eight of these ACEs, you had a triple the risk of lung cancer and three and a half times the risk of heart disease, which are the top two killers in the West. So, and, and it's also just two ACEs gives you a 100% increased risk of autoimmunity, which altogether autoimmunity is currently the third leading cause of death. So it, it's huge. The correlations, there, that was a, that's what wakes all everyone up and goes, oh my God, what have we been doing? You know, we should be maybe looking into this. Like, so how does childhood biography become adult biology you know this kind of thing but it's also and this is the key thing like what is an ace like what were they looking at it's things like um physical or sexual or emotional abuse physical or emotional neglect things like domestic violence in the family incarceration by a family member um you know these kinds of things of parents separating or divorce how many of us have had that i mean experienced that so percent according to the statistics (laughs) yes you're absolutely right (laughs) So what's really interesting is in that study as well, 67% of everybody in that study said they'd had at least one ACE. Now, I, I will always guarantee you that was a complete underestimate. And I, I actually did, I, I recently, um, I've, I've got a, a summit upcoming next year, and I actually interviewed Professor Bessel van der Koop for the summit. Yeah, yeah, world-leading expert on trauma, aesthetics, New York mm-hmm. Times best-selling author, and, and all of this. And he said... The ACEs study was a super study, massively important, one of the most important done in medicine. But he said it was a superficial study that wasn't getting to the truth of what was going on with most people because the questions were too superficial. If you ask somebody, how was your childhood, you know, or even if you said, was there emotional neglect in your childhood? How would you know if you had if you went as a child? Emotional neglect is an area that I sort of talk about a lot, emotional neglect, because it's not what happened, it's what didn't happen and what most people think about trauma they start to think oh you're talking about being in a war zone or an assault or like it may be rape or something that usually a discrete event hospitalization actually for if you're ill is for a child is very traumatizing car accidents actually all those types of things are very they're rare they're actually rare and it's it's not the bulk of all that trauma it's all what we call developmental trauma or relational it's all to do with op other people (laughs) (laughs) it's all it's all attachment trauma like that all the people that come to us in the clinic the vast majority of them it's all about trauma that came from your relations with key caregivers not 
external things like being in a natural disaster as well and by the way those I don't want to minimize when those things happen that's that's big and it's going to affect your biology as well but most people hardly anybody gets through childhood without having some form of emotional neglect because we don't live in an emotionally um aware intelligent society frankly um the more data that you look into it's pretty i mean people talk about the standard american diet mm-hmm. and i talk about the standard american emotional diet which is like <laughs> times worse just look at the media here right now no it's, no i don't i never watch the media i tell that's every, good. It's every toxic. My clients tip number one don't watch the news it's really bad for you <laughs> yeah it's really toxic so so that's um, the, the emotional neglect side of things. I think that is a, we have an epidemic of it, of people not being validated. As You know, sometimes it can just be, you know, a parent who was too depressed to notice us and notice what we were going through and validate our emotional states and what we were going through. It, sometimes it can be because there was financial stress in the family. There can be tons of reasons, but it comes down to if a child is not seen and not loved and that expression, 90% of it is not, verbal it's the it's the it's the connection the bonding if that if and 50 percent of adults don't actually securely have never securely bonded with their key caregiver usually the mom and that's that's all been validated as well which is another reason why the divorce rate is at 40 or 50 percent as well so it's that kind of trauma which actually changes not only the biology because the person now doesn't feel a sense of safety now they're in a hypervigilant state and what the data showed is that that changes it makes us a highly sensitive person to stress now people can be born that way and the researchers have been calling them orchids which is beautiful mm-hmm. um so that they're this, they need greenhouse care because they're just super sensitive you can either become super sensitive through genetics or you, you have an unsafe childhood even if it was just emotional untrustworthiness never mind bullying at school you know verbal abuse you know a sociopathic or narcissistic parent that's all um what we call silent aces because it's not over it's not obvious so people on the aces score questionnaire they weren't writing that down is they had to have it they had to ask very specialized questions to get to dig in who was there for you when you were growing up when bad things happened who could you speak to and, and that's when it they actually people would fill it out and they would get upset and Bessel van der Kolk was like yeah people walked out the room and and because they actually really got to the core of it they took the skill of a therapist to do that but um so that's why it's so prevalent and in terms of how it changes the biochemistry it basically puts us in a chronic fight flight response and as soon as you're doing that we know because of all the research in psychoneuroimmunology stress kills stress Mm -hmm. if you had six aces you had a 20-year reduction in lifespan so it changes everything so stress will change your your it's literally the glucocorticoid receptors in the brain change and you only need a small stressor you have a big cortisol output you're then marinating in inflammatory cytokines um they've even done experiments with animals i don't I don't validate, but they did do, they, they created attachment trauma in sort of, uh, you know, recreated it, simulated it in monkeys. And if you take a baby monkey away from its mum too soon, so there's no bonding, the gut bacteria changes. They get leaky gut from, from that separation. So that there's attachment trauma. It changes everything. It changes your hormones. It changes your HPA axis. It changes the gut um it also affects mitochondrial function we have to expand our understanding we normally think of fight flight 
mm-hmm. fight for light response, right? And we kind of just think cortisol, maybe we have that awareness and we know that um, that stress kills. And But it's way beyond that. It's your horm- the entire cascade of hormones are changing, the gut's changing, the mitochondria are switching into the defense mode rather than energy mode because it turns out the mitochondria are the energy-producing cells and it, the mitochondria which produce energy at the cellular level they don't just produce energy and produce ATP, which is the energy currency. They also play a role in um, a detecting threat and defense. And if they think there's a threat, they'll just shut down. You know, a bit like L- London during the Blitz. I always use right. that analogy. You say there was normal ways of life, you know, are shut down. And then you start getting fatigue because the mitochondria, you know, so that's the link with chronic fatigue, for example. So it really is um, a multifactorial impact on the body. And just where your genetic weak link is, is what you might end up. Some people end up with chronic fatigue. Some people end up with autoimmunity. Other people go down the heart disease route. Um, So hopefully that explains some of the mechanism as well. Fascinating. Absolutely does. And throws a million questions up. Um, (laughs) I have ADHD, so that's just a dilemma for me because I have to try and decide which ones. But on that note, actually, um, good segue. Um, I loved when you were talking about the fact that trauma is not always correctly perceived and it's actually as much what didn't happen as what did. And the, the loop there is that, that um, I'm also a great fan of, of Gabo Mate's work. And, yes. you know, one of his descriptions of that is his own journey, in his opinion, to how he has ADHD. And I found that a really fascinating story. The flip side, of course, is that all the conventional physicians will say, oh, no, it's genetic. It's yeah. genetic. We've identified 15 genes. Well, you know, as a as a scientist, I have to say 15 genes, that's not genetic. You know, one gene, yeah, that's genetic, you know, but 15, no, that's a homeostatic process. You know? <laughs> um, yes. So, um, you know, it's 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 maybe because I have a problem kind of like accepting this as a disorder, but um, I, I just wonder what you what you think about his work and about this this whole idea of of how can you kind of delineate what's genetic and what's actually a traumatic incident especially as you said with hidden trauma or let's call it covert trauma so many people aren't even aware they experienced it yes I love Gabor Marte's work I think he's absolutely fantastic as I was one of my heroes up there with Bessel van der Kolk and a few others absolutely so yeah he's super duper and he's so much full of compassion just yeah love him so I think he's right I think he's right about lots of things one area of research that's really interesting about this genetic component is and it's just very interesting because you know I mentioned you can either become highly sensitive because of the attachment trauma uh, there is definitely a, appears to be a subgroup with a propensity that's genetically defined. And this is actually, it was mainstream researchers again that found which genes it was. And they've done amazing experiments where uh, empirical uh, experiments where they took children. What was, first of all, the research, let me just explain. They said that there is this genetic component and they were calling the children with this genetic thing that they were just born highly sensitive. Maybe we can't hundred percent know. Actually we can, because they they did identify the genes because it's also what the experience of the mum when she's pregnant, if she was under a lot of stress, 
that gets passed on to the baby in utero and the baby can come out highly sensitized already to right. stress because they were she that he or she picked up mom's stress so that can happen too but it also it can be there seems to be these definable genes and they called those children orchid children and they compared them to dandelion what they call dandelion children and what they said was that the dandelion children where, when bad things happen like where there are aces okay the two groups are going to respond differently dandelions can kind of you know like they can they can still bloom in some rough conditions right, right, right. you know in, they, in they've between got, the cracks of the flagstones yeah <laughs> they've got some resilience there's resilience there what they identified with the dandelions is that this was the group that was more sensitive and if bad things happened if the aces happened they were more negatively impacted right. by that context However, and this is the beautiful thing, and it's why I always share this information, they also found that when the, when the uh, uh, orchids got greenhouse care, when they got that extra greenhouse care that orchids need, they outperformed the dandelions and became more successful in society than the dandelions. And they showed it empirically. They had families, like hundreds of families, where they did an intervention with diff- difficult children. It's the ones that were kind of starting to develop um you know more difficult behaviors or maybe would actually boys tend to go more down when they get when there's attachment trauma going on they tend to go more down the adhd route they're more overt Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a different response for girls they tend to get Mm -hmm. more disassociated and that kind Mm -hmm. of thing so they took the, the family and took looked at hundreds of families and they gave them an intervention to do to give them greenhouse care for the parents to say, no, don't give up on this more difficult kid. Give them the greenhouse care. And I think they said they found like a 12% improvement versus the families that had no extra help. But then they broke down. They said, okay, who had the orchid genes and who had the dandelion genes? And it turned out the orchid genes children had a 27 percent improvement with the same greenhouse care as those with dandelions and that's incredible so they became super like um very adaptive and i think the things about sensitive children they have this gift they're more likely to be empathic they have gifts that um reading energy reading the environment more likely to be aware about what's going on with other people um and there's some tremendous skills that come with that um probably a little bit more emotionally aware and more able to read what's going on in the environment but that's also why they're more affected by it right they're more Mm -hmm. tuned into it Mm -hmm. so the the, it was really amazing the way the researchers talked about them they said there are what were they they children of a special beauty and capability something along those lines so there's a lot of uh, orchids that I work with that end up with chronic (laughs) fatigue and I tell them you're an orchid you're just a a fragile a little bit more fragile but you that does it's not a weakness and that's the point so so it's very interesting there definitely is that the research showing there is some this genetic component but but I also think somebody can become highly sensitive because they had to survive it was a survival strategy um, but then they could also end up with the skills as well that they can then use in later life. So it all comes good in the end. And all childhood childhood trauma can be reversed. That's the other thing we should just make sure. Talking about all the negative at the moment, that's no, the, no, the beauty. We'll definitely, definitely get on to that. Um, one thing I also thought that was really fascinating is I, I interviewed another one of my heroes, um, Alyssa okay. Echol, um, fairly right. recently, who wrote The, uh, the Telomere Effect. And um, some of the the work that she was talking about just blew me away when you're talking about not only the effect on telomere length of 
trauma in childhood, but also, as you alluded to, in um, actually in utero. What's even scarier, though, is that some of the data is beginning to really clearly show that not only in behavioral studies, but actually even looking at things like telomere length, that that trauma can go back generations. So you can be walking around essentially paying the price of trauma that wasn't even inflicted on you personally. Can you talk a little bit? Because I think this is a totally fascinating subject. And yes, sort of, yeah. it, it's really a dodgy line before we start getting off into the woo. But yeah. <laughs> it is, it's almost, it is probably one step away from like past lives, right? Yeah, so, it which is, is exactly. in the woo land. But if you wanted to try and in any way to prove past lives, maybe the idea that we all sort of genetic might, memory. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that, um, that we might incarn- keep incarnating into our own family lineage. Yeah, the intergenerationally inherited trauma is it's another thing. Some areas where are supposed to be controversial. It's not, con- I can't see it's controversial anymore. It's like there's the data's there, you know. Um, so, third generation survivors of the Holocaust victims have the same physiological and psychological expression of symptoms as their grandparents that were in the Holocaust. And that's been proven in research out of Israel and so on. And it's been proven in, in, you know, hardcore like nature, major science journals where they've even, because we always think that that somehow our DNA just gets cleaned back to zero, right? And it turns out that no, if if, um, they did it with mice as well, where there was a male mouse that was traumatized and they were able to see that it was the micro RNA expression of the sperm of the traumatized mice changed. So there we have the epigenetic shift. So they injected that sperm into healthy, untraumatized female mice, and the offspring had the same genetic expression, change in genetic expression. So you can't even put it down to bad parenting because the mummy, the mummy mice were untraumatized. Because <laughs> you think, is that how it's getting genetically passed on? Bad parenting? No, it's purely through the genetic um, genetic line so that's being proven in in experiments as well and it also comes back to why when people are considering their own childhood and assessing their aces you don't just want to assess your aces go back and ask how your parents lives were how was you know when mum was pregnant with you how was what was going on how was she what happened in the early first two or three years by the way when we had pre-cognitive brain isn't on track yet you know things that you won't remember what was happening around then might need to ask parents then too so and then it goes back to their grandparents as well and that sometimes can help explain to somebody like why do I have you know all the sensitivity or this or that and and yet uh, I didn't I don't remember anything happening to me and quite often it is because somebody inherited that that change in genetic expression so the, the one of the key things I always say, say to people when you're healing your trauma and you change your own biochemistry, your own nervous system, your own psychology, and you reverse the impact of trauma, you're doing it for your entire ancestral lineage because it will carry on. If you don't do the work, it will pass down to your children. So it's quite a big thing. It's a big thing that somebody's doing. Um, and so, uh, one of the things that's very interesting about that, narcissistic abuse, having a narcissistic parent, for example, mm-hmm. you see that all goes back. You can just trace it back. As soon as somebody keeps attracting narcissistic parent, those narcissistic romantic partners, you'll find that one of the other parents was narcissistic. Then you go to that parent, which one of their parents was narcissistic, one or both. And it goes all the way back. 
Um, so yeah, it's it's very that's very it's very interesting. <laughs> the kind of like a, a double whammy in that case, isn't it? Because you've got the genetic lineage, and then on top of that, there's got to be some kind of like learned behaviour going on there as well. So yes, you know, you've got your yes. ancestral yes. trauma, then you get your dose of trauma. So yes, it, it actually it's almost like it gets worse every generation. Well, yeah, except that there's the there's what is it? How many hundreds of thousands of healers in the world helping everybody yeah, to heal all that exactly. stuff? And maybe that's why we came to the planet, you know, to, we knows? took on who knows? Yeah, maybe that's for some, it's you know, I think that some of the deeper meaning people want to sort of that they need that can help them recover from traumas when they find the deeper meaning in it as well. So, which can be really important. Um, oh, I absolutely agree. I think, you know, we always say it's, it's not what happened to you. It's the, it's the meaning that you attach to it, isn't it? Totally. Yeah, that's it. One thing that I know that a lot of skeptics would say, for example, is, oh, the trauma. Yeah, don't be ridiculous. We've been traumatized since the dawn of time. Human race is still here. How, how do you address that question? Oh, so... So um, it's true. We've well, we've had trauma ever since the beginning of time. Maybe that's <laughs> um, probably true. So, but what? So what are they saying though in response to that? That they're just saying, so what? Don't bother healing it, or what's the implication? I, I guess, I, or that it's yeah, that it doesn't it doesn't have imp- in, you know relevance and and uh, value as a as a something that you have to take into consideration because it's like a constant you know yes yeah we've all survived it in the past yeah so what that's what's really interesting (laughs) yes exactly I what's really interesting about that you know it is the human it's the human condition isn't it so we're talking about a human condition but I think that it's kind of waking up to the fact that if you can heal it it's like you're almost talking about world peace like can we ever get there as well I think I think we can only ever get there if we actually heal our own hearts right if we're forgiving our own traumas within the microcosm of our family, I do think that is going to eventually impact the wider side as well. Um, and I, I think this is part of it's it's part of people having low expectations, and why some people are just very unhappy. And actually, when those people who do heal have a breakthrough and actually become more of a resolved being, like they become more integrated and they resolve these subpersonalities that are traumatized, they really are happier, more balanced beings that are having more successful lives and bringing good things into their life. And so those that really happens just that that standard is rare in society i think it was krishnamurti said it's it's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society right so yeah yeah. yes i I will quote that forever that so um it's it's this rare group that are kind of popping their head above the surface saying hey actually there's a new way of there is actually a new way of being that is you know um healthy and you live longer and and it's just um it almost becomes a very personal personal journey because we're dealing with mass consciousness we're dealing with these culturally these cultural beliefs there's always going to be these compartmentalized areas where they really are having a great life they really are happy they really have recovered that's the same in any chronic illness it's like chronic fatigue you can speak to the skeptic groups the ones who are usually very negative they've got the illness and you just can't get through to them and that there's this bunch over here that have completely recovered oh well you just didn't really have it in the first place if that's true you know you, didn't, you can't have had my version of the illness if you got better so i tend to say you know what i think the best thing we could do 
I was going to say, forget the skeptics, like let them believe what they want to believe. I'm not interested in converse, conversing really with the skeptics. Let them, they are actually creating their own reality. And what, let them go. And I would say to other people and for us, um, trust your own experience, your own research and the data, your own mind, your own common sense and follow your own path and you might find you actually get something and there's still and it's it's probably the mainstream actually you aren't going to back that up it's still unfortunately we're in the minority aren't we people are actually aware about this it's yeah. it, that's also when i spoke to professor bessel van der Kolk as well i mean he's he's in the minority and he knows he the, some of the stuff they're doing with children who are coming out first of all the children have got attachment trauma and they're just sticking them on the drugs mm-hmm. he's he's just that's devastating because he feels that it's going to be when they put the drugs in the children, it's actually causing permanent damage. And he said that is going to be a lost generation. And, you know, and the aware and enlightened psychologist like him, he's, he's, he knows it's not necessary, it's inappropriate, but that, that stuff's happening. So we live in this, you know, it's, it's a world of contrast, isn't it? Like yes, a it total is. world of contrast. And I think, you know, People need to find their own truth and live that truth and don't let the skeptics and and it often does mean waking up from the matrix of, (laughs) wow, there's some really bad stuff happening that, you know, do you want to believe that and go down that route or do you want to, you know, go through some awakening here and realize that healing's possible and that drugs aren't the answer a lot of the time. Um, so yeah, childrenism is a massive issue. I mean, we, we now have seen the, the latest statistics that, that um, teenage suicide is the major cause of death. Yeah, so, I mean, just actually saying those words is 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 so bizarre that the, you know these beautiful young people would be so desperate that they feel that they have to exit. Um, modern life is crazy. Um, there's a part of me that thinks that that's that's part of that argument with the past is that our biology actually has this plasticity, has this ability to adapt to an environment because we're not actually designed to have our environments change on a second to second basis. 150, 200 years ago, the environment you were born in would be very like the environment that you died in. And that's just yes. not the case. So yeah. if we if we look at our young kids now and we see this attachment, the trauma, the pressure they're under, this constant assault on their attention um, and the disconnection that being, you know, more in love with your phone than your best friend. <laughs> yeah. um, where do you, where, you know, that's a that's a pretty bleak you know, prospect, where do you see the glimmers of light and what can we do to intervene really early on before it gets some to be something that we have to treat? Yes, in children specifically. Yeah, yeah. Particularly. Well, I get this. It's really interesting. I get asked this a lot because I don't work one to one with children, um, but I get a lot of people connecting with me all the time saying, I've got this problem with my child, they've got this illness, or I'm worried I've passed on my, you know, my trauma to that child. And What's really interesting is the most important thing that a parent can do for their child is resolve their own trauma. Like that, that's the answer. <laughs> like that's one of the top things you could do is to resolve your own, um, to learn to, to self-regulate, to be, um, to, to recognize your own emotional state, to, to know how to deal with emotions for yourself, the self-care of the parent. Uh, and that means psychologically and 
you know, as well as acts and behavior of self-care. So I'm all about the parent. <laughs> like when I'm working with, you know, adults, I'm that's because children don't learn through words. They learn through watching and mimicking and observing the actual behaviors. And they can pick up the emotional state. They know when somebody, you know, you're asking somebody, how are you today? And they say, fine. And there's depression underneath. And they're not fine at all. Mm-hmm. You know, kids, kids, even if they're not aware that they're picking up, they are. So this is, I think, one of the most important things is this is just what we were talking about to not, we don't have to pass it on to our kids if we deal with it within ourselves. Um, And also I do think there is, you know, when a child comes in, you know, some of the mysteries of life about, you know, why do children die just from illnesses? You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's one of the most difficult things, the worst things that could happen to anybody, right. To lose a child. But I think there's always, yeah. I think there's always, I think, and this is what people, at least the people that I see that there's always a learning from it. Like the, it sounds strange, but even the family will, they all get something from that child that it, even the death of the child that causes the family to become more loving, more compassionate, more expanded. They cleared some of the ancestral karma. So I do think actually there is an awakening happening on the planet. Um, it's, that's why things are getting crazier because there there's some certain old systems that are very destructive that are manipulative old patterns of communicating with each other which are not supportive for life i think there are forces arising now that are trying to push that out and it's actually making it look worse i was having this debate with Bessel van der Kort, so exactly as like i i have more of the optimistic kind of view that i think some of the worst things that are happening on the planet are actually on the way out <clears throat> but there's kind of there's a big battle going on through that so so i think that the some of the new kids that are kind of coming through the, the children some of them are actually more sensitive and i and and i think the environment is still a rough place to be on this planet isn't it yeah, clearly it's it's you know it's not for the faint-hearted and you know some people aren't don't have the skills the the, the lineage hasn't given the skills yet to cope with it um but it, yeah i just don't think there's ever um I think the, the general trend is upwards, but we can get caught in the dips. There are going to be big dips. It's going to look worse before it gets better. Um, but hopefully that will, that's also just helpful for people to know that the best thing you could do for your child is actually look after yourself and, and do your own work. I and think that's will... a huge message, actually, because I think it's especially for a lot of perhaps mums. I don't know if I'm being unfairly sexist here. That there is a kind of an innate, being in a mum that that they will always put everybody else's needs first you know um and the children come first the husband comes first or the partner comes first or and then the house and then this and then and then somewhere if there's one minute left over at the end of the day that's for mum you know and I think that that's crucial that that mums really begin to understand that investing in themselves is not a luxury and it's not selfishness it's actually loving to your family Yes, that's so, oh, that's so important to all the awesome. caring, loving, giving givers out there, knowing that that's about being the standard again. So rather mm-hmm. than giving yourself away to the point where you become so depleted that you're also getting an illness, you're actually right. developing health symptoms. It's one of the roots in to things like chronic fatigue um, is having boundaries and recognizing that when you take care of yourself, you set the standard because you're, you're passing that on to your female children by the way or you know it doesn't have to be female children it can be male children as well you're setting that standard and they're learning from you how to expect and behave towards men so they are going to end up doing that to with their partner in adulthood as well like putting themselves second all the time i would 
it's almost that you know that's the mother wound it's the mm-hmm. mother wound and you know that's a cultural wound we've got yeah. the masculine feminine energy wounding and the, the 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 mother wound is exactly that it is her not being able to um you know what happens if her child has a better life than her and then the daughter starts to have guilt that she's having having a good life because she knows her mum didn't so that's called the mother wound so that we're actually trying to heal that on a a kind of spiritual cultural basis and the male wound is is um you know the kind of you can't have feelings and express emotion and have tears otherwise you're some weak thing and that's the masculine wound so the wounding is it's for individuals it's individualized it's happening in family lineage and then we have cultural level wounding male male and uh, female masculine energy that we're trying to heal as well as a group so um and yeah, it's good to also be like that affects everybody, right? You actually, we exist in a mass consciousness. We just sort of get thrown into it, think it's our stuff. It's like, no, it's happening to every, <laughs> everyone with feminine energy, because you could be a, a man with a lot of feminine energy and vice versa, right? So yeah, that's very interesting. Um, mother wounds and masculine, that we all want to heal that too. And when we do that, you're healing. Remember, you've probably seen the data. Any time a group or even an individual heals that, you're creating a path in consciousness for uh, to make it easier for other people. So, you know, it's like the 100th yeah. monkey syndrome, right? Where right. monkeys who are in completely two different geographical locations, one of them learns to maybe peel a potato and eat it in a different way. And suddenly it's, it's in the consciousness of the monkey. And suddenly a thousand miles away, the monkeys are doing the same thing. So now we're getting, this is very interesting, we're getting to morphic fields. Almost like I, was the Rupert, gonna, I was just about to say Rupert Sheldrake. Rupert Sheldrake's work. Yeah, morphic fields. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. But that's a very positive way of looking at it. That mm-hmm. so, so the human species has a morphic field and it has some imprinting in it with some wounding in that field. And the beauty is that I don't, it doesn't require everybody, it just, just a few of us who actually learn to heal the mother wound, heal the, by the way, it's a lot because you're, it's not what's that, what societies do. You're going to have to go the, you know, if you see mass consciousness go that way, you need to go the other way. But if you do that work, you are sort of dropping new information into the human species morphic field, just like the monkey morphic right. field so it means that suddenly everybody's popping up going and that's what i meant about this awakening happening so i'm taking a small group and other people are kind of going oh there's a you know there's a there's a way of thinking about this where i can actually heal it and that's happening and i think that's also why you're seeing the disruption on the planet right now as well so just going global for a second but no, yeah that's important to do that because i mean i think this is not an individual issue and i mean you can't talk about trauma without talking about cultural trauma and collective trauma um whole other podcast <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah see our minutes are just slipping away and i still have so much i want to talk to you about um, okay. One thing that I think we really have to cover, though, um, we, we've talked about the, the existence of trauma, how it comes up, where it comes up, why it comes up. Now we really need to kind of address how to fix it. Now, obviously, we can't go into detail in a, in a show like yeah. this. And it's always, I assume, never one size fits all. It's tailored to the, to the individual. Yeah. But can you describe a few, perhaps of the few of the approaches and techniques that you use that you found to be really effective in this area? Yeah. So for for the actual like early life stress, and it, it includes like PTSD, even the re- the rarer types of trauma, as well as this mass prevalence. And this is for people who also I kind of because I focus on the people who do now have they're starting to get health ailments, right? They've either got 
chronic illnesses or or they've got stuff they've got gut issues they can't sleep properly anxiety depression right Mm -hmm. i would I take a three-level approach. You want to consider you as, because we're multi-layered beings. We're multi-beings, right? So you want to take a multi-level approach. You want to think about your sort of biology and the physical body and address that. Um, I call it like like there's a kind of the energy field, which I include a little bit the nervous system in that as well. So there's the energetic level, and then there's the pure psychological level. And there's things potentially to do in all three levels that will be really good, that will be synergistic, that will help if you do stuff at the the sort of body level, that will help what you're doing at the energetic and the psychological level and vice versa. So sometimes it's like what you're doing at the higher levels drops down and changes the biology. And sometimes you need to support the biology and that makes what you're doing at the, at the psychology side work better. So, so that's what I mean about be holistic about it, um, taking this multi-layered approach. And some examples of things at the body level you see, this is where there's a huge role for functional medicine again. People, there's so much with anxiety, depression, trauma. You know, we know it, that trauma creates these biochemical changes that I mentioned. So there's, you definitely need to speed up the process because the changes in the body are slower than you can change your mind in a second, right? Mm-hmm. Right. The body takes longer to catch up. So there's a huge role for the whole functional medicine community. And I just say this to them I'm like, oh, we can't deal with trauma. It's like you're dealing with trauma. Most people don't realize when, they've, when they're dealing with it, they're doing gut work or they're doing an adrenal stress test or they're changing their diet because they're trying to address these symptoms of sleep and anxiety, depression, pain, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It, they might not realize the ultimate cause, the root cause was the attachment trauma. It was stress. Right. 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 So, so there's loads of people already getting treatment, not realizing that was caused by trauma. Um, you know, we, there's a big thing about med, the toxins in the environment and other things are potential other big root cause. But I think the trauma is one of these other things that plays in and then you get that perfect storm. So when we talk about things at the biology level, we definitely want to look at things like <clears throat> circadian rhythm management. <clears throat> if, uh, there, if the psychologist and the psychiatrist knew this, this would change. This would. This Jordan Peterson's talking about it. Professor Jordan yeah. Peterson, you know him. He's one of the few who's saying, "Oh my God, I get all my patients. They go to bed early. I get. I get them to get bright sunlight during the day. Um, and the other thing is blood sugar control. A diet to manage blood sugar control. That's all. Just eat a diet that controls your blood sugar. Those two changes." can change somebody's life like just but these they're not having the roller coaster energy anymore they're not getting anxiety and depression so much anymore so some level of your symptoms are actually being caused because your biology changed because the original trauma so i start my clients like some of the basics the lifestyle basics like get the diet under control clean it up you know get the chemicals out of the the environment because that's all just making it worse as well uh, circadian rhythm management is huge it's been a clinical breakthrough you know like improving sleep the timing of exposure to temperature activity levels light and food timing don't eat three hours before bed and, and jordan peterson says it in his best-selling book i just get the p- people to do two those two things and their anxiety is 50 percent better before we even started the therapy so i wish that more psychologists and psychiatrists who are dealing with trauma all the time recognize that there's, there's tons you can do on the biology level and i also therefore i also go deeper and i do recommend people you know to go and see a functional health practitioner and you know if you need to do some gut testing and treatment go ahead and do it mitochondrial function i mean i've got a whole sort of methodical nutrition status first 
I check for pyroluria with people a lot, which is a particular deficiency in, in magnesium B6 and zinc, which will cause you to feel crazy and anxious. And you can think it's, oh, it's all the trauma. It's like, no, just treat the, the cryptopyroluria and you're 50% better, you know. And so it's start... very tempting, isn't it, sometimes to miss the low-hanging fruit, you know. That... Yes, <laughs> yeah. Like, and hormone balancing, food that's natural things, doing adrenal testing, thyroid ch- testing and checking, a gut then I do mitochondria. Then I do do detoxing, like assess for it, the toxin builders. The more stress and traumatized you've been, the more the less you detox as well. So mm. you're building up toxins. And then the last section is um, if there's people have picked up infections, and there's a, that's the whole Lyme mold exposure on the extreme end. So that's my whole route of what I do on the body level. And then there's the kind of the bioenergetics level. It's going to be a topic of a whole new podcast as well. But yeah, I this see is, that. <laughs> it's the, the nervous system. Oh, my God. Some of the tools that we have to rebalance the nervous system. The biggest and most amazing tools. There are so many papers about the impact on mood and improved immune system by spending time in nature. Just spending time in nature. You yeah. think we're all like this. That's a, you know, you've, I've come to see you in a consultation. I've paid hundreds of pounds and you've just told me to spend time in nature. Are you serious? But here's, here's 3,000 papers from PubMed on all the impacts of improving natural killer cell activity, reducing cancer risk. Like, so time in nature, the quality of the water, structured water, um, sunlight, sunlight's huge. Sunlight, the worst advice we've been given is to stay out of the sunlight. Yeah. I'm, this, is, this is serious stuff that if someone makes sure that they have a lifestyle that actually incorporates these things one of the best things you can do just to dissipate if you're overexcited overstimulated get into nature and do it every day and if you can go barefoot in nature even yeah. better right so th- that's actually it's more it works at the physics of the body and there's tons of therapies like pulsed electromagnetic frequencies now that will also actually directly start to re-regulate the nervous system i work with a system and the nest health scanning bioimpeceuticals it's, there's a whole interesting thing about where is trauma stored in the body? Right. We know there's a biochemical imprint. We can see all the changes in the gut and everything. So there's the imprint. There's definitely a nervous system imprint. Um, you can see the nervous system is get is like skewed towards a sympathetic overstress response, right? Mm-hmm. So we can clearly see that. So there's an imprint there. But if you sort of cut up a little neuron and like, can I find the trauma in that neuron in the brain? that's it's not there so some of some very clever neuroscientists have said trauma is stored in the electrical fields that are created by all the neurons firing together so in other words the trauma is it's actually in your energy field it's actually in the that's why emdr eye movement desensitization and reprogramming which is nothing to do with talk therapy it's not a pill it's not talk therapy we're not messing around with hormones it's it's actually pattern breaking electromagnetic patterns in the brain. That's it. Mm-hmm. EFT EFT is energy medicine. It's based on Chinese medicine principles. Um, it's fascinating research showing that emotions are stored in water. <laughs> so that's that's a whole other area. But in, the emotions is that possible? Then oh my god, the marvel of water. That's a whole other topic. Um, even the shamans who are doing the ayahuasca ceremonies are right. saying that part of the purging. It is whether people are, you know, kind of actually throwing up or need to go to the loo or whatever and tears. It, they, they are saying they've passed it in their lineage that the, the emotions, you're clearing out toxic emotions through the liquid being released. So it's it's actually that's coming through. And it looks like the science will back up that too. So the good news is there's tons of what things you can do to heal. And that's before we even talked about the psychology. So so that's the, some of the things at the physics and the nervous system level. And the last bit is just the direct... Um, you know, 
actually getting to this your thoughts and feelings and things the sort of things that I work on it's very important to spend day, a daily practice stimulating the vagus nerve mm-hmm. the vagus nerve the, ver- the nerve of compassion the rest digest detoxify side right. of the nervous system um, you need to create a sense of safety you see all of what we're doing there we've talked about so far we need to create a sense of safety in the body like to to get in the nervous system to get a read that it's okay now you can you can be calm it's, now it's the absolute primal drive isn't it because it's you know it's are you safe or are you about to die there's, yeah. there's an absolute primary control system of everything so safety i think is hugely undervalued or underestimated and that even the slightest feeling of not being safe you know will throw I mean you can feel it It, it's the emotion you feel the first I think it's so great that you that you really focused on that because I know a lot of people talk about self-worth and they talk about that aspect but I think that it's even one stage below that is safety is is it's at its core fundamental Yes. And for a child, even if it's, you know, parents ignoring and neglecting the child, but you're only five, that neglect is going to feel threatening. Um, And so that's the loss of sense of safety is already there. And and when we have that, it's so early on, this, it's kind of maybe it's an isolation and a type of loneliness and there's a lack of safety. Then the self-love deficit starts because you kind of go, I'm only five and I don't feel very good and I'm feeling isolated alone. There must be something wrong with me. me. Mm. I'm defective. I'm wrong. I'm bad. And then starts the whole lifetime journey of having to make up for feeling deficient. And most people are going through their whole lives not recognizing. This is the core bit of what we do on the psychology work, which we want we have people go deep. So we have them look at their external traits and we use the Enneagram personality typing mm-hmm. system. It's just a useful system because you've got achiever types there. You've got the giver types. We talked about the mums out there mm-hmm. and there's a lot of therapists fall into that category there. That's a type two on the Enneagram system. Mm-hmm. It's a system of nine different personality types. There's, there's four types that are particularly prone to stress-related conditions. Um, you've got the perfectionist, type one, type two, givers, type three, achievers, and the type uh, six, anxiety types. And each of that, it goes back to attachment trauma. It started with lack of safety. Then they thought there's something wrong with me. And then it was just they have a, a preset way of how they adapted to that. And achiever types think, well, I'm not good enough, so if I just get enough status, if I just do enough, if I become a human doing, I'll make up for feeling the deficiency inside. And that eventually get tons of people end up with chronic illness because there's no end to that. I, I'm never good enough. You know how many people talk about that? So the achiever types, it, achieving is great unless it's being driven by, and it is with most people, a deficiency of lack of self-love and safety ultimately. So that it's achievers. Perfectionists think they're going to be okay if they just get everything right. If I just do it right, if I'm just perfect, that will make up for this underlying feeling. A lot of people are only 50% aware of it, but it's a huge mm part of what i get people to start identifying your personality traits because these traits were your adaptive response to fe- to attachment trauma in childhood so um perfectionists use that the giver the giver types were often there's some form of neglect and they realized that if they give to other people people love them back right. uh, or actually they didn't they just found out that they needed to give to get attention mm-hmm. so they became giver 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 heal everybody else but everyone else first um, Alice Miller's The Drama of the, the Gifted Child, that book, 
it's about all the therapists. She was a therapist. She said, listen, all you psychotherapists out there, you're, you're all neglected and charged. And you became psychotherapist because you got so emotionally like attuned to everybody else because you weren't, you didn't get the love that you needed. So they're usually out of touch with their own needs. Um, and they, they, they don't even know what they are. Never mind just telling somebody to t- do the self-care. You've got to go deep. You start to recognize the self-love deficiency happening. And last one, I'll just mention one of the, the, the anxiety types. They were never given, so there was neglect there, and then they, they weren't given a core sense of trust in themselves. So they, they weren't instilled a sense of confidence that they could go in the world and they could trust themselves and have confidence in their decisions in the world. And at any moment they think the, the, the floor's going to open up and they'll just be eaten up. So they often, there's tons of anxiety about everything. Um, and all of that, you just can't go on through a lifetime without at some point you will get some kind of chronic illness when you're in the extreme unhealthy version of that. So that's some of the work we do on the psychology. There's, that's that's quite, quite deep work. Sometimes we need to have people uh, just change. This is just in, in the context of health. Or very often we need to start with somebody by just changing their relationship with their symptoms, changing their relationship with their symptoms. So, for example, pain. Um, or body scanning all the time, chronic fatigue people all the time. They're very, very worried and having a stress response to their symptoms. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we need to use a neurolinguistic programming stop technique to change their relationship and how they're responding to the symptoms so they become neutral. It's no big deal if that symptom comes out. And guess what? When it's not a big deal, when you're not trying to reject it, resist it, scared of it, um, dramatizing it, all that. When you stop all that, the amygdala goes, no, it's not important, and it goes away. <laughs> so that's so we have to. So that's sort of the high level where we often start. If if only a subgroup need that, not everybody. But sometimes we need to change our relationship to our symptoms, and we're actually perpetuating an illness because of that. Quite often, that brings somebody out of their head, and that because they're they're very mentally scared, and they're just in a cycle of chronically worrying about symptoms. So we break that then they actually get in touch with their feelings because they were disconnected from feelings because they were in the head the whole time and then we start the deeper emotional work and and suddenly they're like oh my god I can feel everything again it's like yeah and then like oh, it doesn't feel very good it's like yeah that's why that's why you disassociate that's why you were doing all this because this <laughs> so then you have to help people then it's all the emotional work so how the emotional neglect means people don't know what they feel and you have to teach people how to feel again and how to recognize and name emotions um, and a lot of deep breathing work, a lot of um, body, almost Vipassana work for people mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Get them back into their body. Yoga work is great. So you're getting back into the body. Yoga is great for creating a sense of safety in the body again as well. So and then they start and then they find that that's how they're finding themselves. And as the more they start to breathe and bring the consciousness into the body and awakening, the body becomes more alive. There's more energy. There's more energy in the body. And then the, the clear out starts. And that's a whole emotional detox journey on its own. Like, you know, depressed a few days in a row, maybe feeling grief. And that's all emotions need to be felt to be released. Right. So. So we have people go through that learning emotional intelligence. What's the meaning and purpose of anger? What's the meaning of purpose of of fear? How do you deal with shame? How do you deal with sadness and grief? So that's these are all. I'm just running through my course of what I I do with clients. So we get deeper and deeper. We start with the creating a sense of safety, rebalance the nervous system, break any patterns around the relationship to symptoms. Then they start feeling their feelings again. Then they didn't know what, what, oh my God, what am I going to do? All these feelings now that I have those. And then for me, I I help people get even more um, 
you get really very finely attuned to your emotional state. So you start building empathic skills. And that's when the fun starts. You start to be able to work with energy in your body directly as well. And you can start to even intuit. You start to get really clear. It's actually amazing. This is the beauty of all of that work. Eventually, you'll start to know. You just have knowingnesses about directions that you need to go in in your life. You get clarity faster. You can see dead ends or bad situations or toxic situations faster so you can avoid them. Um, when you do have an intention and a desire, those th- you finally get the law of attraction. That All that stuff we talked about <laughs> at the beginning, the law of attraction, that starts to work. It starts to work. The body's healthier. The nervous system's now rebalanced. You know who the hell you are. You know how you're feeling. Now, because most people have set an intention over here and they have no idea 50% of their body is like, nah, we're not interested in that. We're going that way. <laughs> people don't know who they are, right? So that's the beauty. of uh, I call it subpersonality integration work. So you become this integrated being. Guess what? You become a powerful creator. Now you can do Joe Dispenda's stuff and it works and it stays. And you better be careful what you wish for because it will come. Right, exactly. Because you often do you see what, it. Do you see what I mean? That's the journey. Yeah, I, I totally love that because I've I've come across that situation before that it's very easy to say, just move into, uh, you know, the positive thinking movement. And it's like, you cannot do that if you've got something blocking you. you, you yes. it's, it's, it's easy to say it's a decision, but it, it kind of isn't because it's not you who's deciding. <laughs> yes. And it's also, it can be really destructive to tell people sometimes that, oh, just trust. And all these terrible things like, oh, just, you know, go and have a cup of tea, just trust like how is somebody who'd never had that in their yeah. whole life in fact even things like even this is an interesting tidbit for you if you've had trauma um and people how many people are saying that you have to just meditate do meditation meditation is actually contraindicated for yeah, some people sometimes yeah yeah and they get more anxious and, and actually if you are in, in what i call it the limbic kindling thing where they're in the the mental state of stress in response to symptoms you try and get somebody like that who's got a neurally neural pathways are stuck in a wired stress response and just tell them to go and sit down and meditate oh my god it'd be a disaster for that person and then of course they get into the root of oh my god i can't do this i'm terrible i'll never recover you know and the stress gets worse so that's the last thing you'd want to tell somebody like that to do you don't want to send them you know if anybody out there has tried meditation and you just feel like you're a total failure at it and you can't do it don't worry it's not for you it's not the right stage for you yet do do yoga work do body work um get massage work get into your physical body maybe you need to do some brain retraining work and there is the stop technique the nlp thing there's there's other things to help do that and maybe there is maybe by the way if you do have some ptsd type trauma from discrete incidents so you know that's affecting you um, it's curable. PTSD is pretty curable. The first line of thing I'd tell anybody to go and do EMDR. It's it's conventionally back. You'll find good yeah. therapists who are well trained. If you have PTSD and you've been diagnosed with that, or you think you have, and it's a discrete incident, EMDR is your tool. Right. Right. Nikki, I could just really talk to you all day. You have I to could talk back. to you all day. Yes. <laughs> you have yes. to come back. This is a conversation that can't stop. But I know our time is up. So I just want to hold you for another two minutes, if I may. First of all, 
Um, just tell everybody where they can get in touch with you and find out more about your wonderful, your website's amazing and you have your own type of ACE study, I know, which is a little bit more in depth. Highly recommend people fill that out because I think it tells you so much about yourself. So where they, where can they come find you? Yes, they can just simply come to nikigratrix.com. That's N-I-K-I-G-R-A-T-R-I-X.com. And I've got some freebies on there, um, 10, 10 sort of principles to opt on energy and seven steps to healing trauma which I, I go through what we just mm-hmm. talked about and I will be releasing I'm soon going to start to release a, th- a, f- a free masterclass training series on those three levels the body the bioenergetic physics level and the psychology so if you sign up to my on my website you'll be on my newsletter you'll just get onto my newsletter and then you'll get all these freebies coming out in the next few months great great and now just couple of really quick questions I promise I'll make them really quick I ask all of my guests these questions so you can't cop out there's no right or right uh, wrong answer so I like to think of um, mind body spirit in terms of health happiness and serenity so for you personally what's your definition of health um wow of health the definition of health <clears throat> I think it's uh, gosh, I don't know if I could encapsulate it into one word. The definition of health is a state of calm, inner trust, self-love and confidence. <laughs> and with a knowingness that the body knows how to heal itself under the right conditions. Perfect. <laughs> I, I, no, I love that. I love that. And what about happiness? We, you talked right at the very beginning about looking to be happy. So what do you do to get happy? What makes Nikki happy? I think it's when you connect to yourself, you, you are in that state of feeling, knowing yourself and in a state of actually a complete acceptance of who you are in this moment for better or for worse, an acceptance, a, a kind of compassionate attitude towards self which, and also your environment and your circumstances. And we only get glimpses of that, right? But when we get it, it's unconditional, isn't it? unconditional beingness I don't there's nothing extra outside this present moment I need to change about myself or anything in the world I can just be in this moment and when I'm in that that's the definition for me of true unconditional happiness and joy (laughs) and the last one is serenity you talked about getting training our vagus nerve there's your what what's your favorite or your personal practice for serenity those moments of turning down the noise well I'm very lucky one of the things I do is I go for walking on the beach here in Santa Monica in California and I I just I can see the mountains in the background nature and nature's the answer to that whether you've got just even if it's just a park a meadow a mountain a field a vista you know the sea the ocean mountains that's your it's a free gift (laughs) so serenity is nature I think for me fabulous I'd love to honour you for your work, Nikki. Thank you so much for doing what you do and the fact that you give so much um, so that people can just learn and lead happier and healthy lives. Thank you. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed the interview. Me too. And so, dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Nikki as much as I did. She is absolutely a fount of knowledge um, on this subject. And she is also um, one of the the warriors who are out there trying to get the message out because she really, really does care about helping people get happy and healthier and lead really productive lives. And looking at trauma and understanding that 
not only has to be addressed and dealt with, but that it can be dealt with, I think is a really huge message and one that we all have to really pay attention. So, so please go over to her website, check out her uh, a special extended type of ACE um, score test that she has, that she's filled it in with a little bit of extra material so that you can get a deeper understanding. Really useful also for therapists to use. And she has loads and loads of information, an absolute wonderful, wonderful lady. And so my dear listeners, if this episode was of interest to you, and if you think that it would be of interest to other people, then please, please pass the information on. We are dependent on you spreading the good word, because that's what we're here for, to make sure that we can curate and bring you good, valuable material that can actually be made something that you can implement and make life better, healthier, and happier. If you would like extended show notes for future episodes, just pop over to londonheal.com, sign up there on our uh, mailing list. And also we would really be very grateful if you could rate and review us anyway that you listen to your podcast and subscribe, but especially over at Apple, because that's the way that they will distribute this to new people is if they see that lots of people are subscribing and listening and thinking it's a cool show. So that would be really great if you could do that. So my dear listeners, that leaves me as always to wish you health, happiness and serenity. <laughs>